Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors. Policy Pack Software, now part of Netrix, where you use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And also brought to you by Liquidware, the innovator in adaptive workspace management solutions. And of course, also brought to you by ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. Control up. Happy users, happy IT. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. This week, Microsoft updated a previous public preview announcement around the Windows Update for Business Deployment Service in Microsoft Graph and in Microsoft Endpoint Manager to now include a driver servicing management feature in the Intune portal as well as some in-portal reporting. It was a little bit difficult to decipher the announcement because your original announcement for the general Windows update for business deployment service in Graph and in Endpoint Manager was made back in November of last year. Then they updated the announcement in March and now they've obviously updated again with also teasing that there will be further information provided in November at Ignite. And also while they're announcing the preview now, ahead of Ignite, it's stated that the preview is estimated to begin around the end of this year, so in December. The announcement does not contain a list of the hardware vendors that will be supported as part of the preview, but I believe this was something that was shared back in March. While it's a little confusing, obviously the potential introduction of driver service management into Intune is pretty significant and could potentially bring MEM closer to feature party with Microsoft Endpoint Configuration Manager, or MECM. I would assume by design though, I assume by design though, there probably will never be full feature parity between the products because they're very different products and not everything that MECM currently does for those on-prem desktops is going to be required for those remote endpoints living on the edge. Somewhat related, but not directly related, is another public preview that was announced of a workbook for update compliance, which touches on obviously the very important aspect of measuring patching compliance, which is of critical importance for security. I couldn't see what kind of subscription will be required for the feature in the actual announcement, but it looks like for getting started with the public preview, it's very simple. You just have to enable the preview and then point it to your subscription and go to your workbooks options and choose the update compliance workbook within Azure Monitor. So pretty easy. The workbook highlights alerts on the main dashboard and also features other more detailed dashboards allowing you to drill into data like total number of patched devices, patching progress, number of devices by an individual KB number or patch, and more. BleepyComputer.com reported this week that several customers using VMware's Carbon Black endpoint security solution flagged that they experienced blue screen of deaths. Those running Carbon Black sensor version 3.7.0.1253 on Windows 10 64-bit, Server 2012 R2, Server 2016, and Server 2019 were the ones potentially affected. 
on systems that were impacted by the issue, the code in the blue screen of death was PFN underscore list underscore corrupt. While temporary mitigations were provided at the time, VMware has since issued a statement that goes, quote, VMware Carbon Black is aware of an issue affecting a limited number of customer endpoints where certain old sensor versions were impacted by an update of our behavioral preventative capabilities. The issue has been identified and corrected, and VMware Carbon Black is working with impacted customers, end quote. It's always tricky with these security products. Changes have the potential to be catastrophic, like in this case, for, I guess, according to VMware, a limited number of customer endpoints. Now, the article by bleepycomputer.com had someone reporting that a lot of their endpoints were affected, which I guess if you're on the same version of the carbon black sensor on all your endpoints, then there's the potential for a lot of your endpoints to be affected by this. In disappointing but predictable news, windowscentral.com reported this week that ads will now appear within the primary inbox of Microsoft Outlook on iOS and Android unless you pay for a Microsoft 365 subscription. They revealed this change is being trickled out, so you may not have noticed it yet, but soon you likely will. Boo. And speaking of Microsoft 365, earlier this week, there were several advisories on the service status page. Some users were reported to be unable to sign into Microsoft 365 desktop apps and encountered errors. There are others who have just had delays in displaying content. Some had broken access to Exchange Online. And there was even a complete outage of the service in Finland. Some of these issues were new for the week but others look like they've been going on for well over a week. And it's just me speculating here based off some of the updates in the notes, but these may be related to some of the third-party firewalls blocking traffic for Microsoft's cloud services. As I reported on previous episodes of the podcast, some of these web services have been flagged for potential use in phishing campaigns. It is interesting that this seems to continue to drag out and it may become a more mainstream news story in the coming weeks if it continues it seems to be kind of low-key for the time being interestingly google announced last week that they are to bow out of the iot services game suggesting their partners are better suited to managing iot services needs they will shut down the service in august of next year so those using it have one year to find an alternative TechRadar.com reports that both Microsoft and Amazon are offering customers what they claim an easy migration to their IoT services instead. And TechRadar alludes to the fact that Google are infamous for pulling their services. You may remember their social media attempt, I think it was called Google Plus. Google Music is now YouTube Music. And there's just a long, long list of things that they've decided to just shelve. WindowsCentral.com have reported this week that Microsoft have started rolling out a new version of their Edge browser that features a new sidebar that includes quick access options to Bing, Outlook, Office, and other Microsoft products. Skating ever closer to that anti-competition line again, in my opinion. WindowsCentral.com also reported this week that Microsoft Teams will be getting a feature to leave meetings across multiple devices with a single click. 
For quite a while, Teams has allowed you to seamlessly move from one device to another, which is handy if you maybe start a meeting on your laptop, but then before the end of the meeting, you have to maybe get in the car and go somewhere, and you want to continue the meeting on another device. Well, that was pretty seamless. However, when you wanted to end the meeting, if you're on two devices, there was no real option to just from one active device end your meeting participation across all devices that you're logged in on. And it seems like this is now coming. And it's part of the August update that has already started rolling out. So look forward to that. A 1,000 bed hospital in France suffered a cyber attack last weekend, according to a report by bleepycomputer.com. This has resulted in the medical center referring patients to other hospitals and postponing appointments for surgeries. It said that those in need of emergency care are being evaluated by their doctors and if their condition requires medical imaging for treatment, they have to be transferred to another medical center. According to Le Monde in France, which has info from the country's law enforcement agencies, the ransomware actors that hit the hospital demanded the payment of a ransom of $10 million in exchange for a decryption key. The BleepyComputer.com report suggests this may be LockBit version 3, and if it is LockBit 3.0 responsible for this attack, it will actually violate the Ransomware as a Service Programs rule, which prohibits affiliates from encrypting systems of healthcare providers. At this time, this hasn't been linked to a specific threat group, and LockBit 3's website does not contain any reference to this particular hospital, so it's all just theory. It'll be interesting to see if it is LockBit, what they do in order to kind of make good, since obviously they're selling this ransomware as a service. It's not supposed to be targeted healthcare systems, but in this case, maybe it was. So how do they make good? Because yeah, decryption key is one thing, but as we found with the HSC in Ireland, once they had the decryption key, it still took months for them to restore all the systems. Betanews.com reported this week that research from Critical Insights security company shows that in the first half of this year, attackers have actually shifted their attentions away to smaller hospital systems rather than large hospital systems. And they're also targeting some specialty clinics too, because it's said that those smaller organizations lack the same level of security preparedness, staff size, and budget of their larger counterparts. John Delano, who's healthcare cybersecurity strategist at Critical Insight and vice president at Christus Health, said, quote, This move from large hospital systems and payers to smaller entities that truly have a deficit when it comes to cyber defenses shows a massive change in victims and approach. As we continue into 2022, we anticipate attackers to continue to focus on these smaller entities for ease of attack but also for evasion of media attention and escalation with law enforcement, end quote. I would think even large healthcare systems could be vulnerable if they are poorly funded, like Ireland's public health system, for example, which was hit, as I just mentioned, by ransomware last summer. But maybe there's something to be said for them also wanting to avoid mainstream media attention, which they certainly got when they hit the HSE. The next story is not really enterprise related. It is on the consumer side, but I found it important enough to include. Plex has been emailing customers this week to force a password reset after discovering unauthorized access to one of its databases. 
They claim the passwords in the databases are encrypted and should be secure, but obviously when exposed, it is better to be safe than sorry and force that reset. The bleepycomputer.com report on this included a tweet from Troy Hunt, who confirmed that he himself is a user of Plex, but said for him it is a mere inconvenience as he uses a password manager, which he then uses to generate his random passwords for different services he uses, and he had MFA enabled. So be like Troy, everyone. I would add that you should probably have a unique password for your password manager too, um, something you're not going to then just reuse on another service after you set it. You know, it's unique the time you set it, but if you use it on something else, then it's no longer unique. And also don't have it recorded like in a text file or a Word document or something like that on a device where it could be exposed. Neowin.com reported this week that Canalysis has reported on PC shipment numbers for the second quarter of this year. And they report that in Western Europe, sales fell by 18% in the second quarter. And this is the second consecutive quarter. <laughs> so basically every quarter this year that's been reported where there's been a decline. They say notebooks on 18% year on year decline to 12.3 million shipments and desktops grew 22% year on year to 2.7 million shipments. Tablet sales were hit the worst, shrinking 24% to 5.9 million units. The blame for the decrease in sales was put on supply chain disruptions. While, at least here where I am, we're no longer going in and out of lockdowns, various areas in China are still entering lockdowns with their zero COVID approach, which then affects many factories and ports get stifled too. While things got better at the end of May, according to this report, the losses at the start of the quarter couldn't be recovered in time. In addition to the delays, inflation has also caused people to cut back on their spending, which will further hurt PC sales, and that's something that's going to be common, not just in PC sales, but pretty much in every industry. The report goes on to suggest that Apple actually saw the biggest hit in Western Europe, with shipments falling from 1.36 million in the second quarter of last year to only 788,000 in the second quarter of this year. That's a huge 42% drop and its market share fell from 9% to 6.4%. And I can only speak for myself and say that it seems like Apple are really slow at turning around orders and shipping those products out. So that's probably why people have looked for alternatives. Also, obviously with the recession potentially looming or we're actually technically in one, I think. People are not likely to spend on the higher end machines if they do really desperately need something. They'll go for a cheaper alternative. But now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. Thanks to Olaf Hartung for this first one. He reported that the updated version of Sysmon in the Sysinternals tool, which is version 4.0, provides a prevention feature for blocking certain files. And he lists out the event ID and how you can leverage this. And he's got a pretty cool blog post on the topic. Also not one that's necessarily enterprise IT related, but obviously somewhat because it includes Wireshark, which is very widely used in enterprise. But if you use Airbnbs as an example, you may be interested in a video by the Hack5 YouTube channel which shows using Wireshark for helping to detect hidden security cameras on the network of where you're staying. So we've all probably seen those stories of these Airbnb hosts putting 
hidden cameras around the place and spying particularly on women well you can use Wireshark to potentially see if there are these hidden cameras on the network the final part of my five-part blog series on application updates has now been published. I think I said it on a previous episode, but it's been kind of a cathartic experience for me, reliving some of the nightmares of application updates gone wrong. Uh, and it was kind of cool just to piece that all together and have this little historic timeline uh, for myself online. On multiple episodes of the podcast in the past on scripts, tricks, and tips, I've highlighted some new community podcasts that were started but I was completely remiss, and I don't think I've shared podcasts who were already established before this one. Uh, and I have to say that Run As Radio, if you haven't checked that out before, it is awesome. The production qualities are amazing. Every time I listen to it, like if I'm doing the gardening, I kind of have to catch myself because it reminds me of listening to NPR, for example. The production qualities are just really, really high. And I love that. A lot of the topics they cover aren't necessarily just end-user computing, so they're things that I don't do and touch day-to-day, -day, so I get to learn about them. So I think like the most recent episode touched on Power Apps, and I've used Power Automate quite a bit, but not got into the actual Power Apps themselves, so pretty cool to learn about that. And I really check out that you subscribe and listen to Run As Radio. Rudy Ooms was back again. He's just churning out the pits and <laughs> blog posts. But this week he posted about using ADMX templates in Intune for setting drive letters. So that's pretty cool because ADMX templates were not necessarily supported in those modern settings before. So it reads or appears that you're now able to do that. And he gives an example of using an imported ADMX template for setting drive letters. This is going to be something that I'm going to try out this very week, I think, because I have a use case. And finally, Ben Reader shared his scripts and guide on using PowerShell for replicating your Windows terminal settings. So like if you've got customized backgrounds, for example, for Windows terminal, and you want to be able to migrate or replicate those to different devices you use, check out this blog and script. Before I wrap up this week, I got some feedback from a listener. I won't mention by name, uh, but this listener asked me if I could adjust the audio levels on some of the transitions, like that kind of ice hitting the glass sound effect that I use for scripts, tricks, and tips, and also the swooshing sounds between news stories. I was delighted to get this feedback, and I've incorporated it in this episode. I hope that it has helped. But if you ever have any feedback for me, please feel free to reach out. You can find me on Twitter, at Rory Mon. And with that... That's it for this episode. If you enjoy the podcast, please go rate it on your podcast platform of choice. Tell friends about it. And just thank you so much for listening.